session here. Tonight, so let's just jump right into Exodus chapter 31, open chapter 31 tonight. We've been working our way on Wednesday nights through this wonderful Old Testament book. And it, if you've been here on uh, Sunday nights, you notice how neatly uh, Leviticus and Exodus dovetail together. We've learned a lot uh, about the temple, the tabernacle, and we've been studying since chapter 24, chapter 25, uh, all about the construction of the tabernacle, the, the movable uh, sanctuary, you could call it. This is the movable sanctuary that would follow the, actually would lead, not follow, but lead the children of Israel in their wanderings for those many years in the desert. And God had a specific way that he wanted it constructed. And we've learned, as we've looked at the different uh, uh, elements, the articles, the, the uh, linen curtains, the three different veils, the uh, Holy of Holies, the, the holy place uh, in the inside with all of the different articles, we've learned that each one of them really points directly or pre-pictures Christ in some way. And uh, so beautiful to see that. I hope you see that because the Old Testament, you know, half your Bible is Old Testament, more than half of it. But we as people just don't study the Old Testament enough. Wouldn't you agree with that? We don't know that much about it, but God gave it to us purposefully. And not that we would become legalistic about it, but to understand the history and where we've come from and who we are as believers. If you understand the tabernacle, and then you begin to look at Jesus Christ in the New Testament, it, it just, it's uncanny. It's, it's the, the pictures, the illustrations, it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, pre-picturing Jesus Christ. Like when you look at the brazen altar, as you recall, the brazen altar when they would walk inside the, the, inside the enclosed tent area they would first come to the brazen altar. That's where sacrifices were made. You couldn't go beyond the brazen altar to wash or to go into the holy place, which is depicted by that tent on the picture behind me there, the Holy of Holies was inside, that two-compartmentalized tent that was in the middle. You couldn't even get there until you offered sacrifice. It, it was meant to help the people understand that that coming and approaching God, because God was in that tent, his presence was there. That when you approach God, you had to sacrifice for your sin. You're a sinner. And these people were learning that. God was going to teach them that. Remember, 400 years in Egyptian exile. They've been living with idols. They've been living under all kinds of, of uh, idolatrous practices. Uh, just really strange and perverted ways of the Egyptian people, and God separated them. He's taken them out of Egypt, and he's making them into his own special people. So that's what's so important about this book, Exodus. When you move through uh, that area, you go in toward the temple, or toward the, you're in the tabernacle, but you move toward the tent of meeting. As you move toward that, you come across the bronze laver, which, again, washing, baptism, the washing uh, off of the blood, and, and now you could come closer to the Lord. Then you would go into the tent of meeting. Again, there was the candle, abra, the menorah. That was the only light source inside that thickly veiled, multi-layered tent with all the beautiful fabric and the, the, the embroidered angel, a cherubim on the inside. 
the menorah speaks of Christ. Jesus is the light of the world, and inside there, there was one light. That was the menorah. And then you went further, and we studied last week. Remember, it was the altar, the golden altar of incense. That's what we looked at last week. And that golden altar of incense was precious in that it represents prayers, continual burning, this beautiful smelling aroma made by these craftsmen, that lovely uh, smell that was overwhelming the other smell of all the sacrifice. Remember that? And, and that smell was a constant reminder that prayers were going up to heaven. And who is our interceder right now in heaven? It's Jesus Christ. He's seated, the Bible says. His work of redemption is done. He's seated at the right hand of God, and he's making intercession for who? For who? For me, for you, for us. Thank God for that. I need that every day. You know, it's, it's one of those things where if you were raised in uh, maybe a Catholic church or if you were raised in a church that believed you could lose your salvation, you're looking over your shoulder. You're not assured of your salvation. But when you come to the New Testament and you understand what salvation is and that, that it is finished, and by putting your faith in Christ, that grace that saves you, it separates you positionally, speaking. You take, you're taken out of death, out of darkness, out of Adam, and you're placed in the light of his glorious son. And that's a forever sealed position for the believer. I don't have to look over my shoulder. Yes, I make mistakes. I don't always walk in the spirit. Sometimes I walk in the flesh. Am I the only one in the room? No, right? But I don't lose my salvation because it's all, it's, it is finished, Jesus said. It was all complete on the cross. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by duty. We're not saved by being good today. We're saved by the blood of who? And that's what we stand in. All of these Old Testament pictures of Christ in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, they're just glorious. That's why I get excited about even teaching this here. Now, as we approach verse 31, Moses has been on the mountain with God alone, right? He's been alone up there, and God's giving him the instructions he gave him 10 commandments, right? Today, tonight, he's going to bring those 10 commandments down at the end of this chapter. He's been up there 40 days isolated alone, getting all this instruction from the Lord, which included all of the details on how to build the tabernacle, what the articles were to look like. And tonight, the contractor, I've called this Betzaal, the builder, you know, pardon me for not using Bob's name, but Betzael the builder is who we're looking at tonight. He's a man that was gifted by God, filled by the Spirit. He was an, a craftsman, an artisan. He was selected by God to do the construction. He's the one that we're looking at. That's why I uh, call this study Betzael the builder. So I'm going to approach this from, there's only 18 verses, but I'm going to approach this from the from application side of being filled with the Spirit and what it means in the New Testament to walk in the Spirit. In this case, we see this man that was filled with the Spirit to do this work in the tabernacle. You and I are filled with the Spirit to serve God in His church. So there's some real great application here. Uh, let's ask God's blessing and then we'll jump right into it. Father, thank you for the Word. Thanks for getting us through some technical issues uh, earlier this evening. Thank you for worship time. Thank you for a sanctuary that's cool and a place for us to come study your word. Thank you for the Bible we hold in our laps, the, the living word of God. 
Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's read beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works to work in gold and silver and bronze in cutting jewels, verse 5, for setting and carving wood and the work in all manner of workmanship. And I, indeed I, have appointed with him Ohaliab, the son of Akisamach of the tribe of Dan. And I have put wisdom in the hearts of all who are gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you, Moses, for this tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that's on it, the furniture of the tabernacle, incense, the altar of burnt, burnt offering with all its utensils, the lava in its base, the garments of ministry, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, the garments of his sons to minister as priests, and the anointing oil, the sweet incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. So in these verses here, you may have noticed as we've studied week by week, we've already looked at these articles as they've been built and God has given specific instruction on what was to happen with each one, how they were to be maintained, how they were to be used, how the sacrifices were to be done. All of that's what we've been studying the last four or five weeks. But again, Moses has been up on the mountain alone with God, and God has given him all these instruction. And all this time he's on the mountain, remember from earlier passages in Exodus, the people that are down on the mountain, they're looking in awe at the top of the mountain, and they're freaking out. And they don't want to go near God. Why? Because there's fire, it's like a volcano, there's cloud, there's smoke, it's thundering, and they, they have a, a holy fear. God has already drawn a line and said, don't come up here. Only Moses can. There was a short time where the elders went halfway up, remember. But only Moses has been in the presence of God for these past 40 days. And he's been getting all of these instructions. Now, I want you to notice a couple things as we approach these couple of verses here. That this entire operation from, from the plans to the architecture, the engineering, all of that stuff has been the Lord. God hasn't asked anyone to help him design any of these things. God has given specific command about everything. And now, in chapter 31, he chooses the contractor. He chooses this man that's called apart from everyone else to do the building, the craftsman, the building of the tabernacle. His name is Betzal, Betzial or Betzal, the builder. And we can learn something about how God calls and equips this man for the specific work in the tabernacle. And we can apply it to us and how God calls us, saves us, gifts each one of us for service in God's church in the New Testament. So there's a beautiful parallel here as we study this. My first point here, it's Betzal, the builder here. Again, go back to verse 1. Let me just read this, two, these two verses, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, see, I have, I have called by name 
Betzaal, the son of Uri, the son of Hur from the tribe of Judah. Now, the name Betzaal means in or under the shadow or under the protection of God. So here you have this guy with this great name. Under, can you imagine naming your child under the protection of God, under the shadow of the Lord? It's a, really a beautiful name, but that's his name. And it means that he has this special protection. In other words, God's called him out. God's going to use him in a special way to build these things, the tabernacle and, and all the utensils and articles that are, that are inside. You might recall one name in that list that we just read, the name Her. And the name Her should kind of spark your attention because it was Aaron and Her who held up the arms of who, remember? Moses, when they were fighting a battle against the Amalekites. Remember, the first thing that happened to these people when they left Egypt, God allowed this, this invading army, to, they, they were threatening them. So God said, I want you to go out and wipe them out. And so the army, Aaron, uh, I mean, not Aaron, but uh, Joshua. Joshua, the general, took all the people, all the fighting age men. This is back in chapter 17, I believe. He took all the fighting men out, and they were prevailing as long as Moses was praying. Remember, his hands were raised, but he got tired. He would get tired, and then the, the Amalekites would start defeating the children of Israel. And then, so Aaron and Hur lifted his arms up, and as long as they held his arms up, in this act of prayer and intercession, then the army of the Lord would prevail. That's in chapter 17 of Exodus there. But the point was that the first victory of, of Joshua came as a result of the Lord. These people had to look to the Lord. They had to trust in the Lord. They had to be in prayer. They couldn't be fighting because they wanted to fight. They were fighting because God called them to do that. And they were sustained as long as they were in this attitude of prayer. Moses, their leader, was in this attitude of prayer. So God taught these people a really important lesson for their very first battle, the first warfare there, that they would only succeed and be victorious if they trusted in the Lord. They couldn't trust in their flesh. They couldn't trust in their numbers. They couldn't trust in their, their hoes and, and axe and, and wooden battle, you know, uh, swords and all the things that they, were, they had made, you know, out there in the wilderness. They didn't have a lot. They couldn't trust in it. They had to trust in the Lord. So God was teaching them that. But it was her and his family, and, which is really important because it's, it's uh, her, Yuri, and Betzaal, these three that are part of this family, and it's this family that came from this man, her, that becomes an example. It's in 1 Chronicles 2.20. Again, the book of Chronicles kind of gives us an overview of all these activities in the Bible. You can go back and start reading through Chronicles. It's a chronology of what happened in the early age of the children of Israel there. But in Chronicles, it says, and her begot Uri, that was his son, and then his grandson, Betzael. So there's this godly heritage in this family. That's the point. I don't know if you have grandkids. I don't know if you have kids. If you're a grandma, you need to stay close to the Lord. Teach your children the right way. Teach them the right things. Teach them about the Lord. Every day, talk to them about Jesus Christ. That's your responsibility because what happens is from, 
her, this godly man that held up the arms of, of Moses, you get his son Uri, and then his son or his, uh, gr- the grandson, um, this man Bezalel. So there, there's something to be said about the importance of a godly family. But the most important part of this uh, man, Bezalel here, and my next point is that he's filled with the Spirit of God. Look at verse 3, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and all manner of workmanship. Now, you, in reading the scripture, will see this again and again, Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And we see this, the wisdom, understanding, gifts and abilities, worship, a servant, the Lord, all of those things you see over and over. And over those abilities come directly from God. I don't know if you pay much attention to the news. There's a lot going on in what's called so-called church these days, in large denominational conferences, in small Methodist churches that used to be churches that you could go to and get fed God's word. Not anymore. Not anymore. It's really sad when you look at what's, what's happened there in those churches and the, the pastors Female pastors, forbidden in the scriptures, by the way. I know that's not popular, but that's what the scripture says, and there's a reason for that. But they, they, they have not only that, but they have gay and lesbian pastors and pastorettes. And they don't teach the word of God. They, it's all social gospel stuff. And it's really sad. And when you look at the church at large, in America today, it's, there's a lot of sickness going on there, a lot of anti-scriptural things going on there. In this case, the church should be filled with the Spirit of God, and this person that's filled with the Spirit of God it can read the Word, understand the Word, and, and live according to the Bible. That doesn't always happen. But in this case, I want you to notice that Bezalel, he is skilled or gifted directly by God. It reminds me of that verse. We used to sing a song, but that verse in Zechariah 4, you know this scripture, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Anything that we do in the church has to be empowered by the spirit of God. We use the term anointed, anointed by God, led by God. Um, It's got to be led by God. And then the word of God it has to be in here. If it's not in here, don't go there as a Christian. That doesn't mean there's some gray areas. We have been given all that we need for life and godliness and God's word. But it's so important for us to understand that we're, we, we need to be filled with the spirit, that it's the spirit of God that motivates, that drives, that keeps us going. Any of us at any time can try things in our own flesh, but like Moses, when his hands went down, they were defeated. But when his hands were up and he was in the Spirit, when you're motivated by the Spirit of God, you can do all things, and we need to understand that. So Bethsaal was filled with the Spirit of God, and he was given these specific gifts of construction for the movable sanctuary, the tabernacle, just as New Testament believers are to be filled with the Spirit on a moment-by-moment basis to do what? to serve in the church of God. There's a parallel there that's very important. Let me show you real quick in Ephesians 5. 
18, where Paul uses some very strong words. He's commanding, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be being filled with the Spirit. It's, it's a Greek word, present aorist tense, which means uh, yesterday, today, and forever. This word, this word being or be filled is continually, starting, continuing, future. Just continue to do it over and over again. And Paul's command to the New Testament believer, that's you and I, here in Ephesians chapter 5, is that we're spirit-filled. That be filled is play ruo, and again, it's in this aorist tense, which includes past, present, and future. It means to be filled again, continually, repeatedly. And what, what that means for you and I is that we need to yield again, continually, and repeatedly. Because on your way to church, I can guarantee you, somebody pulled in front of you. You heard something on the radio. Might have been news. And you got in the flesh really quick. It happens really fast, right? So what you have to do is you continually be being filled. That's what Paul is teaching and telling us. We need to be controlled moment by moment. We need to be under the influence, not of alcohol. See the contrast there? But be under the influence of the Holy Spirit on a moment-by-moment basis. So you don't get zapped once with the Holy Spirit and then you walk around, you know, like you're, you're filled all the time. But each and every moment of every day, you and I are called as Christians to walk in the Spirit, to make a deliberate choice to obey the Word of God, to obey the truth of the Word of God. That's what being filled with the Spirit means. And Paul wrote about it in Galatians 5.25. He said this, If we live in the Spirit, let us also, notice, walk in the Spirit. The Christian life is walking, it's progressing, it's not a race, it's not a sprint, it's a walk, and it's a walk of faith, and you walk with the Lord, you don't run out in front of the Lord, you don't leave the Lord behind, it's a walk of faith where you're walking with the Lord, and Paul said in Galatians 5, 16, he said, walk in the Spirit, and then you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, how do I defeat this constant barrage of sin in my heart and my mind and how do I defeat that well there it is walk in the spirit be filled with the spirit be continually being filled as Paul commanded I used this illustration a few years ago when I was teaching in Ephesians and the illustration goes something like this some people feel like being filled with the Spirit is like taking a glass, and the Holy Spirit fills you like water in a glass to the brim. And then you empty a little bit out, and then He fills you a little bit more, and you empty a little bit out, and fills you a little bit more. And there's this continual thing where you're emptied, filled, emptied, filled here, but that's not what Paul is saying. When he says, be continually filled, here's what he means. You become not a glass that holds the Holy Spirit, but a conduit in which the Holy Spirit flows through. So as the Holy Spirit is flowing, flowing, flowing through, through your life, you're continu- I need more and more and more and more. I mean, who doesn't need more of the Holy Spirit? But that's what that means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not filling, dumping, filling, emptying. 
It's this continual flow of God's Holy Spirit. Somebody said this, I love this little quote, being filled with the Spirit is not an arrival, it's a daily pursuit. Isn't that true? We need to be filled on a continual basis. The Bible teaches that every Christian is, is filled with the Holy Spirit on conversion. It's not a second work. That You hear that taught a lot, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a second individual work that comes at a later time. And you know, a lot of Calvary pastors teach that. I just have a disagreement in that one little area. Um, I, I believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a once and for all occurrence that happens at regeneration. You're baptized into, fully immersed in, the church of God, universally. As a believer, you're saved by grace, a regener- regeneration, your sins are forgiven. There's a whole bunch of things that happens. And the Holy Spirit baptized, you're taken out of darkness, placed in light. Lots of different things happen in regeneration. One of those things is you're placed into the body of Christ. It's a beautiful tr- truth. The allegory throughout the New Testament, the body of Christ. There's a head, Jesus is the head, we're the fingers, the digits. You might be the armpit, I don't know, the beard, I'm not sure. But we're all different parts of the body of Christ. And, and we see this throughout the scripture, but we are placed into, positionally, we're placed into the body of Christ. That's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, the filling is different. The filling can happen over and over and over and over and over. And I need it over and over and over and over and over again. Amen? We all do. So you need to understand those. Those are truths that the scriptures teach so clearly. Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about the Holy Spirit here. He says, this is the body of Christ. This is what he says, for by one spirit we were all placed into, immersed in one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slaves or free, we've all been made to drink of one spirit. There's only one spirit. There's only one body of Christ. Now, you can have subsequent fillings, but you're baptized into the body once. You can have experiences of, of, you might say, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I hope you are. I hope you are. And I hope you, you seek after being filled continually by the Holy Spirit. Very important to understand that. But, but all believers are placed into the body of Christ at the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we're made to drink of that same Spirit. That's what the Scripture teaches. And by the way, that's not an experience. Being baptized in the, in the body of Christ is not an experience. You don't even, your hair color doesn't change. You don't get wet. It's just, some, it's, a, it's like, being taken out of sin and darkness and placed in light. I don't feel it, but it happens. The Bible says that it happens. It's not an experience. It's something that God does in the believer's life. And so there's lots of that that goes on. That's why people, they get confused. I don't know if I'm saved. I've had these these thoughts and these ways. Well, listen, bro, you need to stop thinking that thing and come this way. Let's walk in this other direction. You're walking the wrong way. And so we need to understand that and encourage one another uh, in those, those ways. The theological reality is that you're placed into the body of Christ in what's called the baptism. And you have subsequent fillings. It's not an experience. It's a reality for the believer. So 
What does this have to do with this guy, Betzal, going back here to... Well, it does, because God, notice, filled him with a spirit in verse 3 and gave him wisdom and knowledge and understanding and, and workmanship. So part of the filling in this man's life was all of these gifts that God has given him. Paul says this in Romans 12. Look at this verse behind me. It's a long one, but... For as we have many members in one body, remember the, alleg- the allegory of the body, but all the members do not have the same function, the same gifts. So we being many are one in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let's use them. In other words, if everyone in this room had the gift of teaching, that would be interesting tonight, wouldn't it? Everybody's blabbing, nobody's listening. If everybody had the uh, one gift of being in the sound room, it's not big enough. They'd be dogpiling on Kenny. Everybody has a different gift. That's the, the, the beauty of the body of Christ. Some can sing, some can't. A lot of you can't clap, but you're learning, you're learning. Frank is helping. We, we all have differing gifts and abilities. Some love to be out in the parking lot and, and just serve you out there. Some love to be sitting in a pew and, and watching other people and what's going to happen, you know. Everybody has a different gift. And, and according to the grace, the Holy Spirit gives that person. Now here it's Betzael here. He's prepared for his ministry of construction by the Spirit of God with these special skills that were perfect for the construction of the tabernacle and all the artisans and the craftsmen's work that he did. Here's the interesting thing. In our church, I could name them right now. There's a bunch of guys that like to do maintenance. There's other women that love to feed and house and help. I see it. I see it all the time. It's a beautiful thing. My point would be that there's many different gifts, many different gifts in the scriptures. The notable ones is preaching and singing on the worship team because you see that when you come in here. But they're no greater, they're no greater than Usher. It was so, I mean, I think our fellowship is still still a little bit uh, reeling after the death of of our sister, who so beautifully served the Lord in the Sunday school. She was such a blessing, and, and no different than the gift I have, no different than the gift of an usher or a security person. All those gifts and, and, uh, are, are needed and necessary in the body of Christ to make it whole and to make it function. And in this case, we have this man who's been gifted. Now, let me really quickly just throw, if you're taking notes, you can just throw down. There's four different passages in the New Testament that speak about gifts because you're wondering, what gifts do I have? What do I have? I don't know what gifts I have. Well, you can look at a couple lists in the scriptures, Romans 12. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Those two are pretty easy. They're both 12s. Romans and 1 Corinthians 12. And there's lists in those two areas in the New Testament. Also Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. So that's kind of how we remember. 1 Peter 4 and Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Those are the areas where the gifts of the Spirit are defined there. But we have a really unusual one here that's not mentioned in the New Testament. And it's this man here, Betzael, who has this biblical gift of embroidery. Uh, I mean, I've never heard of that before, have you? 
But let me show you this. This is kind of interesting. Turn to chapter 35 real quick. I will just read a couple of verses. Exodus 35, verse 30. I just want to show you that this is an actual spiritual gift. There are many different gifts of the Spirit. But notice here, I'm not making this up. We're going to read this now. Exodus 35, verse 30. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Betzaal, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all the manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting and carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach these other people how to do this work. So he's got this gift of teaching these artistic, crafty uh, works. Verse 35, he has filled them with skill to do all manner of work. The engraver, and here it is, the designer and the tapestry maker. In blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine linen, the weaver those who do every work and those who design artistic works. He was gifted by God to do embroidery. Isn't that fascinating? Now go back to chapter 31. Again, it's Betzaal here that's a gifted artisan. My next point, really quick, we'll just kind of bust through this. Verse 4, to design artistic work, gold, silver, bronze, verse 5, and cutting jewels for setting, carving wood, and to work in all matter of workmanship. So he's a jeweler, he's a goldsmith, he works with metal, he works with wood. This guy is, is fantastic when it comes to working with uh, all kinds of materials here. And then he has this spiritual gift to work with fabric, to embroider and to weave. And he's going to teach others to do this. Remember all the, the screens and the, the tents and the multi-layers of beautiful fabric, purple and red and gold that he's going to have to weave to, put, to make this tent of meeting and, and the white uh, boundaries of the, the tabernacle as well. So this guy's been gifted. It's, it's a really amazing. God has appointed him to not only do it, but to teach others. Verse 6, And I indeed have appointed him these men, Aholiab, the son of Akisamach. I don't know how I... That's, those are weird names, huh? of the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in the heart of all who are gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. So the tabernacle and all these pieces, the, the list there all the way through verse 9. So all of the gifts and all of the abilities required to build all of the furniture and all of the, the um, lampstands and utensils and basins and weave garments with this man, Betzael the builder, Verse 10, the garments of ministry. Remember, we looked at that, the high priestly garments of Aaron and his sons. He's even going to make all that. Um, verse 11, and the anointing oil. Remember, we had a whole chapter on that, the anointing oil, and how important it was. So he's going to be able to do all of these things and teach others to do it. So God has a purpose for this man and his ministry to teach others because there's one way that God wants it done. He told Moses, Moses is going to appoint Bethel, and God's going to fill Bethel with his Holy Spirit, and he's going to, in turn, make all of these things. What a variety of spiritual gifts. Again, it's beautiful. I've always loved the James passage, James 1.17. Here it is behind me on the screen. Every good and perfect gift is from where? Not from man. 
If you get joy in, in uh, ushering or, or planting a plant or painting a wall, it's because it's a gift that you have. God gives that, you, that gift. Use it. Use it for the glory of God. What a blessing it is. Every good and perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the Father of lights. No shadow, no turning. It's a beautiful thing to use your gift to uh, bless the body of Christ. So Betzel, he's gifted, he's appointed by God here in chapter 31. And it just encourages me to encourage you to use your gift to serve God's people. Now in verses 12 through 18, we get the reason for the Sabbath. And again, we looked in depth in Exodus 20 when we were going through the Ten Commandments. We already looked in depth on the Sabbath. I'll give you some more pointers on that again. But notice what the scripture says here. This is very important for you to understand why it is that we, the, the uh, church in, in America predominantly, there is the Sabbatarians, there are those even in Loma Linda, but, but this is why, I want you to really catch this, this is an important answer to why we don't worship on the Sabbath, because God has appointed it for his people. Look at what the scripture says. The Lord spoke to Moses, verse 13, speak to, also to, notice, the children of Israel sang, surely my Sabbaths you, who? The children of Israel shall keep. Because why? It's a sign between me and you, the children of Israel, throughout your generations. Not the New Testament believer. This is for the children of Israel and for their generations. That you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So the Sabbath is a sign between God, me, he says, me and you. And what's the sign for? So that every other nation knows that these people are different. They stop working on the Sabbath. They, they, they do something different than every other nation. They worship a God that's totally different than every other nation. And they actually trust God. They, we work seven days a week. We tend our gardens. We need to make food for our families. But these people trust God that one day. They take a rest on that one day. Made them peculiar. Made them stand out in light of other nations. But this is a sign that these people belong to the Lord by keeping the Sabbath. This is what God chose for them. So it made them different than the rest of the world. How do you, how, what, what's the sign here? It's a, what's the sign? Well, specifically the sign was given to the children of Israel, to the Jews. The Sabbath is for the Jew, not for the Gentiles, for the Jew. It's for that specific group of people. That's what the scripture is teaching. It's interesting when you talk to a Sabbatarian, a real serious one, because there's a lot that are just like, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just, I grew up this way, and we sing the same hymns that you guys sing, and we love Jesus just like you. And yeah, that's true. That's very true. But there are some that would actually say that you're worshiping on the wrong day, and they, they become legalistic in their point of view, so much so that they would, not all of them, I, I would say it's probably fewer than, than most, but they believe that if you don't worship, then you're not born again. It's a sign of being born again. It's a work, right? It's a work. They're not saved by grace. They're saved by going to church on a certain day. Sabbatarians. And they're the ones that will ask the question, 
They'll, they'll ask this question, and you may have been asked this question. So when did the Sabbath day change? Pastor Lee, you tell me when the Sabbath day changed. And I would say the same thing to everyone. It never did change. Sabbath day didn't change. The, the, the Sabbath day is Saturday. It's always Saturday. The Jews in Jerusalem, when you, we were there in Israel a couple of times, boy, I'll tell you what, Friday night, done, closed, zip, stop, elevators. I mean, it's serious. It, it, everything shuts down. And, and they, they kind of party. They, <laughs> the, the ones that really don't have any faith in God, they party. They just have, that's their day off. You know, Friday sundown till Saturday sundown. But that Sabbath, that hasn't changed. It's, it's the same. But it was done away with or fulfilled it was fulfilled by Christ when he died on the cross. And we're not under the Old Testament law of Moses. Think about this. Can I, can I just get this through your head so you can understand this? Jesus was dead on Saturday. Think about that. He was alive on what day? On Sunday. What day do we worship God? On the day that he was resurrected. That's the, the whole thing about the New Testament believer. Why would we want to worship God on the Sabbath day? Why would a Christian, a New Testament believer in Christ, why would we want to worship God on the day he was dead? He was in tomb. But on Sunday he rose. See, and that's why we worship the Lord on the Sabbath day. The, the church, the early church, when you look at the history, it started on the day of Pentecost. That's 50 days. 50 days. The, 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 the penti is 50. So it's 50 days. And that day is, if you look at every calendar, it's always on Sunday. It's never on the Sabbath day. It's Sunday. And so the Christians, the New Testament believers, have always worshipped God on the first day of the week, on the day that Jesus resurrected, came back from the dead. So that's the reason that we do not worship on the Sabbath. Verse 14, you shall keep the Sabbath, therefore it is holy to, notice, to you. Who's you? Who's you in the context here? The children of Israel. He's not talking about you and I, he's talking about them. These people that he's called out specifically, the Jewish people. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death, which is really interesting. For those that believe that you have to worship on Saturday, how many of them believe that you've got to kill people that don't? I mean, think about that. There's, there's a little hypocrisy there. God says to these people, this, he's talking to these people that are in the wilderness wandering, these Jewish people that he's called out. He said, listen, if you don't, you're going to be put to death for whoever does any work on it. That person shall be cut off from among his people. Another euphemism for dying. So again, work shall be done for six days, verse 15. The seventh and the Sabbath is a rest holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Again, the specific people that were to worship God on the Sabbath. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It's a sign between me and, their, and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heavens and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The, the Jews, 
The Jews are an earthly people who belong to the first creation and the first laws and the commandments that God's given. But the church, the New Testament church, is a new creation. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. We have a new day. It's all about worshiping God on the Lord's day, the first day of the week. Now, back in chapter 20, as I said, I taught this already. If you can go back there and you can go online and check it out, all the different things that I said about the Sabbath day and and what it was for. The word means rest. The two B's in Sabbath mean double rest. Actually accentuate the fact it's a resting day. And Jesus, for you and I as sinners, as sinners, as lawbreakers, Jesus is our Sabbath. He's our rest. He gives us rest. We come to Christ, we're forgiven, we have rest. The burden of sin is released, and we have rest in Him. So Jesus is our our rest. So there are those that believe, and I I think we're of that person that believes that the Sabbath was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament sacrificial system, the priesthood, the temple worship, was all fulfilled with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's not a lot of debate there for you. That's why it's important to understand the Old Testament, but then step back and look at it for what it really is. It was written for these people. It had a purpose, but it pre-pictures Christ and his work so wonderfully. So Christians, we've always gathered on the first day, and it's in the book of Acts, real quick, Acts 20, verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, the the disciples, the early believers, always met on the first day. Now, we end this chapter with this final verse in verse 18, and this is really interesting because it kind of carries us into our study next week, but it's the two tablets of stone. Remember, Moses has been up on the mountain for the last 40 days. The people have been down in camp. And he's going to come down. Notice what it says here. And when he had made an end of speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, God gave him two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone. And I love this. Written with the finger of God. Can you imagine how priceless that would be to have a stone tablet with God's signature on it? I mean, seriously. And Moses is going to carry the front and back, these two tablets of stone. You know, sometimes we think they're really big, but, but uh, remember when we were looking at the Ark of the Covenant and the, the tablets would have been in the Ark, the Ark was only a box that was very small, a couple of feet, remember a couple of cubits, and it was just a little box. So you have these tablets that would go, and so Moses isn't carrying these massive, you know, 5,000-pound, you know, rocks. He's, he's carrying these two tablets of stone, but the wonderful thing is that they have the handwriting of God. Remember, the first four laws on the, on the one stone was all about in relation to, to God. No other gods, no idol images. Never take the Lord's name in vain and keep the Sabbath day holy. That was the first four. And then on the other tablet, honor your mother and father. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. And then false testimony. This is one that 
every liberal in America needs to read, the giving false testimony or lying about another. That's, that's what that is all about. Do not lie. And then the 10th one, do not covet. Shows us that we're to be obedient. So Moses now has these, and he's coming down the mountain. When he gets to the bottom of the mountain, something horrible happens. This is Aaron's big, this is one of the big, big, big sins in the Bible. The, the biggest compromise that anyone's ever made happens in Aaron. I mean, we have David, right? David made some serious compromise. There's many examples in the Bible, but it's Aaron who's down there taking all the gold earrings, making them into a little image. I think it was a small image of it. And the people are dancing naked around it when Moses comes after 40 days. Can you imagine? That's what we get next week. Let's ask God's blessing here. Father, thank you for the word tonight. So many things in here and, and parallel application. I just pray for your people tonight that, that they would understand the, the, the importance of walking in the Spirit. Just as you filled this man, Bezalel, and used him for a purpose in constructing the tabernacle, you have a purpose for each and every believer in the room tonight. Each one has their own individual gift, and by exercising it within the body of Christ, they'll find purpose and meaning like in no other endeavor in their, their lives. So Lord, may we honor you by walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. May we discover those gifts that you want used in your church, Lord for your honor and your glory. And Lord, may this church be a place where, where Christians are using their gifts for your glory in an orderly way, in a way that, that the body of Christ coming together in a beautiful, beautiful picture of, of our spiritual head, Jesus. May we always honor, may we be filled, may we walk in the Spirit. In Jesus we pray, amen. Let's all stand.